0: Welcome to the New Money Review podcast, The Future of Money in 30 Minutes. On this episode of the podcast, I'm joined by Manmohan Singh, a senior economist at the International Monetary Fund. Manmohan's specialist research area is the plumbing of the financial system, including the role of collateral, central banks, the derivatives markets, and the increasingly important new area of digital currency, such as stablecoins and central bank digital money. The stakes in this area are getting higher as central banks unravel their quantitative easing programs, while the digital money revolution is picking up pace. Listen in for more. Manman, welcome to the New Money Review podcast. Please start by telling listeners about yourself and your area of work.
1: Uh, Well, thank you, Paul, for the opportunity. Uh, The usual disclaimer applies that the views are mine and not of the IMF. A little bit about my, my background. I work for the Monetary and Capital Markets Department at the IMF. And we are very focused on, especially the type of work I do recently is on central bank operations. So we try to look at central bank balance sheets. And in that context, recent my most recent work has been how the digital world, the digital money world might impact the central bank balance sheets. And in this context, I've written about stable coins with Professor Charles Kahn I've also written about interoperability and some of these issues with Professor Khan and uh, and Caitlin Long. She's with the Custodia Bank. And also papers within the institution with uh, uh, with my immediate boss, Al-Wazir, that's also on uh, digital money and uh, and central bank operations. And there's another paper coming on how digital money might shape central bank balance sheet. And when I say digital money, it's not just CBDC, you know the bank, the central bank balance sheet has certain key pieces like deposits of the banks. It has currency in circulation. It has required reserves. And we try to see how digital money may displace one or more of these items. So that's that's what caught my attention uh, most recently. Uh, Prior to that, as Paul, you may know that I did a lot of work on collateral and why collateral should be reused and what are the implications of collateral being siloed. You know, we talked about QE and the asset purchase program and then too much collateral is siloed. You don't have enough lubrication, et cetera, et cetera. So that's that's where I'm coming from.
0: Thank you very much for that very helpful and uh, extensive uh, introduction. Let's start with stable coins, because these these are a very interesting area. And I think you've written that stable coins such as Tether, USDC, Pose a bigger challenge for policymakers than cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, and obviously, in the, if you look at cryptocurrency-related press coverage, most of it's on the on the tokens that have been very volatile, like Bitcoin, other crypto tokens. But you think stablecoins are the real area of interest and an area of challenge for policymakers? Why is that?
1: That's a good question. You're absolutely right. Our institution has been sort of very negative on crypto, but stablecoin is something which is close enough. You know when folks want to centralize or keep central banking at the core of money, then the first impression is CBDC. At the same time, folks at our place, uh, like Tobias Adrian, et cetera, have written about uh, quasi CBDC or synthetic CBDC. And this is where there is some genuine economics which can hold it together. Now, think about uh, why stable coins and why I have written something about stable coins backed by central bank reserves. You see today, The tethers and USDC, et cetera, are backed by very good collateral or liquid securities, money, market deposits, et cetera. In this world, assuming stable coins grow, you know, they have moved up and down. There were a couple of dislocations earlier in the year. But assuming this model grows, you are siloing or backing them up with, you know, very good collateral like US Treasury. If this picks up in Euro, in the Eurozone, you may have the bonds, et cetera or deposits of banks but this but this type of collateral has significant market use now even if this collateral works all the time there are bumps in the system us treasury had bumps in september 2019 the us treasury market also kind of froze you know off the runs froze in uh, in feb march of 2020 so why take something which is uh, not sort of T0 settlement, even for US Treasuries in some of the market, it could have taken 20, 30 minutes to settle. In this digital world, you need to settle T0. That's instantaneous. And in the instantaneous world, there's nothing more liquid than central bank reserves. So this opens up a huge new can of worms, and I'll get into that uh, uh, piece by piece. Right, but just what, uh, can
0: I stop you there for a second, my mind? So just so I just so yeah. so understand what you're saying. So stable coins are privately issued digital currencies that, that uh, in the case of a dollar stable coin, they aim to replicate the movements of the dollar one-to-one, but they're privately issued and they hold uh, reserves that back up that promise. And often these reserves are, are, are treasury bonds or government bonds in the case of non-dollar stable coins. And that, that, so those, those um, riskless assets, such as, such as government bonds, are being removed from the uh, other parts of the financial system. And that, that in itself presents a problem, in, in your view.
1: I think so. I mean, if you look at today, the eurozone and the way the lift off, you know, from minus 50 to zero and going north, uh, you do not have very good liquid security. Like, you know, uh, will the bond market follow these rate hikes? Uh, so there are uh, pockets of the world where the good collateral often is in scarce commodity, right. and you do not, you do, you are not able to follow the policy rate. So in my opinion, there's a better alternative. But more fundamental than just good collateral being siloed is if central bank, I and mean, if you look at BI's reports, they want to keep money central to the central banks. Okay, number two, in this old world of money supply, uh, you know when central banks do what's called open market operations (OMOs). When they do open market operations, they can control money supply. You know, when banks issue money, the deposits are backed by required reserves. So as long as central bank have a role to play, and if if reserves are the backing for these coins, central banks are still at the very center because you can control the money supply, i.e. if stable coins are backed by reserves and central bank control the reserves, they can tweak the required reserve requirement up and down to control money supply. If this is issued privately and far remote from the uh, central bank balance sheet, which has the required reserves, then central banks lose this opportunity of fine tuning through the required reserves, the amount of money supply. This is very, very fundamental.
0: So in the old days, um, just to recap, the, 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 the banks had to uh, give some of their deposits as reserves to the central bank. And the, the majority of the, the, the money in the economy is issued by banks but the central bank could influence the volume of that overall money supply by, by changing the reserve ratio or changing the interest rates on the reserves it holds from the banks. But then now the, the appearance of stablecoins has made that more difficult for the central bank to manage.
1: Exactly. And if this carries momentum, and you know uh, the Tethers and USDCs are all outside, then central bank lose this this sort of avenue of tweaking through the required reserves. So this is something very fundamental where I think not only stable coins will be more stable with uh, with reserves, you also have central banks still at the center, which would not be the case if it's backed by anything outside central bank reserves.
0: Right. And let's talk about the, the operational advantages of stable coins, because I've seen you writing about these. You, 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 you're basically saying, if I understand you correctly, that because stable coins settle near instantaneously they have an advantage over other forms of um you know near money or, or or holdings in bonds which do not settle instantaneously they settle maybe t plus one t plus two and th- and so that that the stable the way the stable coins work i th- i think you're saying is is, a, is 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 a is a technological advance on what what, what uh, went before
1: Exactly. In fact, the T0 settlement is very fundamental to the digital money. That is the whole premise of of some of the new conduits which would like to uh, have access to central bank reserves. So just take a step backward. Most banks believe that they could also offer digital money and this could be fungible with the conventional assets, which do not settle T0. They may even settle intraday, but they're not T0, typically T1. Now, a typical bank treasurer would look at T0 and T1 and say they, you know, that we can manage both of them. But the T0 world is very different. And that's why I think Central Bank Reserve not only offers T0, it offers continuum 24-7. And I, and I believe the T0 world should be looked at differently than the T1 world. This is where some of the newer folks with newer ideas who just want to deal with T0, and they are, they are willing to manage with their technology, either conventional assets, like treasuries or corporate bonds or equities, or some of the Bitcoin type of world, everything clears in T0. So there's no float. In the yeah. present world, the banks would like to, to my best understanding, and you know the rules and regulations are still in the making, but the banks, to the best of my knowledge, believe T0 and T1 assets could be fungible, that this liquidity can be managed by the treasurer. At the same time, we know that the T0 world is not the same as T1 world, and If you start making it fungible without ring fencing, you know, that is the whole that is the idea, the float starts disappearing. In today's T1 world, all the debits and credits, the credits can be used by any large bank uh, on an intraday basis. That's a float. And this float is significant in hundreds of billions. Uh, If you actually want banks to also issue this, and there's nothing wrong with that, then the T0 world should be backed by or ring fenced by deposits. This is as close as this gets to central bank reserves. Whether they get central bank reserves or the deposits of the central bank is the same thing. If that happens, then you are ring fencing much part of the flow. So you're bifurcating the balance sheets into something which is T zero backed by reserves instantaneously, versus the national world, which is T1, where there's a repo market, there's an intraday market, you know, things get re-hypothec- rehypothecated, et etc., which would not happen in the T0 world. So they're very different. And I believe that uh, the T0 world should be separated from T1, which means in the long run, if banks are an integral part of this market, uh, they will start losing the float, only because that float will be needed on a T0 basis and ring-fenced.
0: OK. And so for the moment, we can't see this trend happening on a large scale because stable coins presumably, or presumably because stable coins are not yet big enough. I, I had a look at the figures before our call. And a uh, 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 Tether, which is the largest dollar stablecoin, is about 65 billion dollars. Uh, USDC, the second largest, is about 47, 48 billion. These these are not, uh, you know, yet anywhere near comparable with the you know the volume of money um, in 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 reserves held by the banks of the Fed.
1: Exactly. These numbers are not big. As some of the hiccups you have had earlier in the year, are yeah. uh, you know that plus you know the demand for Bitcoin, etc. This whole digital world has not got the euphoria it had maybe a year ago. Yeah. However, the economics is still there. If if this world picks up, then this is not conducive to market plumbing because you are siloing very good collateral. And we have a better model, a model which central banks would like that they are in command of the money supply. And B, even if this market picks up to half a trillion trillion, there's nothing wrong if central bank money supply is with them and the T0 is, is a world to itself. And this market could go as big as itself. Luckily for us, the world is inundated, especially the currencies which would demand stable coins like a dollar or euro, there is enough excess reserves. To, yeah. so you know ring fencing deposits in a world with excess reserves is easier than when excess reserves would have been zero. So flip side of this QE, APP, whatever is going on is that it is still possible to carve out excess reserves as the backing to these stable coins than the world mm-hmm. where excess reserves are zero.
0: But from the central bank's policy perspective, is what you are saying that, just so I understand correctly, that the central bank should allow the fintechs, the stablecoin issuers, direct access to the wholesale payment system, as has already happened in some countries like the UK?
1: This is a big topic of debate in the US. There's a lot going on on this front. Uh, Suffice to say uh, that I believe if the technology is there, then it is better for a fintech to access central bank directly rather than going through, say, a Silvergate. You know, there are certain models where the fintechs give a cut to a custodian bank. Yes. Okay, Silvergate is, uh, you know, it just comes to my head, but there are two, three of them which actually make a business out of cuts to these fintechs. Paul, if you remember, shadow banking was a big area which was never fully understood during the Lehman crisis. It took us a while to figure out the numbers and it even took a four, five, six, seven years to figure out what was that size. You know, it was it it, it was really shadowed. It it received negative connotation. Yes. Now, would you, if we have learned something, wouldn't it be better to see fintech, uh, you know, make the rules, make it difficult, whatever it takes, that fintech going directly to central bank, and we see the volumes, or would you rather go through some custodia bank silver gate model where we do not have a full picture? So shadow banking can so this could be part of the shadow banking where the world is outside the rec perimeter. We look at silver gate, but we don't look at the fintech directly. Or you know have the rules in such a way, you know make it difficult. You know AML, CFT, all those issues. But you have this directly under you inside the rec perimeter rather than through a bank outside the rec perimeter. I would prefer the former. That yeah. would be my taking.
0: What are the dangers, Manmohan, of allowing the current system of, as you've described it, having, let's say, a treasurer at a bank having to silo different parts of his own balance sheet or her own balance sheets into things that settle instantaneously, T0, and things that settle T plus one, and then having some kind of complicated plumbing between the two two parts? What are the risks of allowing that um, bifurcation to, to stay in place?
1: That's a very good question and and i would hope that you know if there was a treasurer with me on this panel i would uh, uh, i would like to see their views uh, the float i believe that once you bifurcate the balance sheet into uh, a normal float balance sheet where you enjoy the daily intraday uh, credits which accrue from your customers versus something which you ring fence that is obviously uh, you know uh, you know a blocking money the banks are very adept don't get me wrong these treasurers are some of the smartest folks out there they, they the whole balance sheet is very fungible. You know, they even the trap liquidity they have in different parts of the world, they allow that you know they have a very good handle on trap liquidity, but to trap it directly, you know, a dollar liquidity which is not going to be used intraday, but because you have something out there which should be supported at a, every given second. You, you remember these famous papers from 60s and 70s by Diamond and Divik, the bank run model, right? I mean, assume for a moment every stable coin has to be supported. And that is, you know, something like a bank run. Maybe there's a bad rumor, and every stablecoin issuer wants uh, deposits in lieu of the stable coins because it is supported. A bank should at any at any given minute be able to uh, uh, unwind that stable coin. So if you have you know 25-50 billion of stable coins, you should have the cash to do it, otherwise, that could be a bank run. I believe that the float. Uh, of the uh, of the banking system, has been a privilege, but if they do want to uh, get into this game, it's the economics behind it. If you believe that float is more important and you have more economics and revenue and returns from the float, don't issue the stable coins. But stable coins all, all, also offer economics. You know, instantaneous settlement, the money velocity goes up, the money moves faster. You can do a lot with a smaller amount of money with a faster velocity than. A larger amount of money with less velocity. So you know the economics are underlying, and if they believe that you know you know reducing the float and getting stable coins, but that but that change is still profitable for the balance sheet, then go ahead. R- remember, m- many of the banks have dealer balance sheet constraints, and in the dealer balance sheet constraints with excess reserves, in my opinion, excess reserves are earning basically the policy basically the policy rate. There's large so. This is something which I mentioned earlier on. The large or trillions in excess reserve, I believe, earning uh, IOER, interest on excess reserve. If you can do better than that, then economics will tell me, issue stable coins. So the hurdle rate is there. We can measure it. There's a lot of trillions trapped at interest on excess reserves. However, if you believe that the float is more economical and gets you more than IOER, then it's a different story. So are, the are we, are we assuming,
0: sorry to interrupt you, my man? Are we assuming that in this uh, comparison that stablecoins uh, are zero interest?
1: So some of the rules and regulations are in the making. I I see proposals that that you know they could be getting a positive interest rate. I mean I've seen proposals. Uh, yeah. Even last week there were you know Bank Policy Institute and some of these uh, some of the propo- some of the proposals I see indicate to me that they will be non-zero. They will be positive. Now, okay. now step back now step back a moment out here we have seen some of the ccps uh uh, uh uh receiving positive interest either either the market rate or what's called the sofa type rates so in in my mind if the economics is good enough and a pure fintech issuing stable coins is getting the benefit of more custody business, remember their goal was no floor i will manage the bitcoins and treasuries instantaneously. Mm-hmm. Then that model, that economics, should be good enough that you don't need interest on uh, interest on coins. There is uh, implied seniorage in this stable coin game. In my opinion, the economics is very different and should not be reimbursed uh, at the interest on excess reserve. I don't think interest on excess reserve is a deposit game. It's a very different economic argument, and I think certain countries may not have, you know, complete IOER. You know, this is an issue for debate. Should trillions be paid interest on excess reserve? Some countries, like, like out here, the Fed has an operating framework where you need the IOER and uh, and uh, and this RRP. But in certain countries, you could have a tier where not everything is paid at IOER. In my opinion, stable coins economics does not warrant payment at IOER, but maybe something, a number much less, or even zero. But that's my thinking. And there are a lot of proposals out here of course everybody would want to be reimbursed on the stable coins but i think the economics is strong enough if indeed there is demand and your custody business can grow by hundreds of billions, you know you make money on custody that's your primary target right you're ring fencing stable coins and single, and, and and for me that custody business is what measures you and your balance sheet rather than interest if that happens you know paul if that just happens that would be a gravy uh, on top of your business Right. So the banks would like it, the fintechs would like it. They would agree on this. But from my side, do not muddle the economics of deposits, the monetary operating framework, which needs IOER versus stablecoins, which should be a genuine business proposition rather than a way to get IOER. It okay. should not be a way to just get IOER.
0: Right. So, so the, 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 we should focus on the operational advantages of stablecoins, not on some kind of interest rate game that's being being played, which may be temporary
1: business model is key. You don't yep. want the new entrance yep. offering nothing. There has to be a business model which should stand on its own. And you know whether the economics of deposits and stablecoin interest can be muddled, that's another story. But I think first thing is you have a business model, it should stand on its own. And if it's good enough that there's demand for fungibility of T0, T1 assets, then I think you should be able to get away without uh, interest on stablecoins.
0: OK, um, I'd like to ask you a bit about uh, quantitative easing and, and and what's happened, you know, with the recent plans to reverse it. Um, just for context, the, when, before the Fed started quantitative easing, its balance sheet was about $900 billion at the beginning of 2009, and it grew to around $9 trillion, so around a tenfold increase with the, the Fed increasing its purchases of, of government bonds. Um, in recent months, we've seen a reversal of that and uh, plans to accelerate the reversal, You've been, in, in your written articles, you've been relatively um, optimistic that this quantitative tightening can be done without any major market disruptions, because you, you, I think you, you point out that this will release some of the collateral that's been locked up, such as uh, US treasuries, um, and, and allow that to be circulating in, the, in other parts of the financial market. Is that, is that still your view?
1: Yes, you touch upon my old chestnut tree, okay. <laughs> Uh, no, I mean, uh, uh, I, I'm I'm glad because, uh, you know, the Fed offers a very nice lens to see this because it's the only one to do some unwind, okay? And until this recent last couple of weeks with the pound sterling, etc. Well, know, I wanted to wasn't... ask you
0: about that in a minute, what's happening in the UK, no, but let's I, start I, with the Fed. I, I,
1: <laughs> I can't talk, about, I can't talk about, uh, uh, about the pound sterling, but let's go back to this tightening issue. QT, the word T for me has remained more of a misnomer only because- By Fed's own papers, there were three papers I I have cited recently, one from Atlanta Fed, one from uh, Chicago Fed, one from the Board of Governors. They themselves, the paper, look analytically at the unwind. You know, different different angles of research, you know, very quantitative. And by their own admission, uh, uh, you get about 10 to 15 bips unwind for a trillion. You know, a trillion in the past unwind phase could have taken up to two years. The unwind has been so slow. You know, pace of unwind. It's only from this September, you know, 2022 September that unwind phase has doubled. And I admit out that I do not know if the doubling will lead to any tightening. And here's where the economics comes in. Paul, US Treasury also has moneyness. And I've written about this stuff. You know, when when, when US Treasury will be released, you release moneyness, i.e., in, in the financial markets, the treasuries will be will be reusable. And you pull in money. That's quantitative tightening, that we will release bonds and and take out money. Now, you know that there's a lot of money out there which has not been uh, fully used. The demand for money has not been very strong in the last 10 years since uh, QE had happened. So my take has been the very reason these three Fed papers are not showing significant tightening is that the release of moneyness is, is probably offsetting or more than offsetting the money you have been drawing in. The other issue I find very difficult to disentangle is that going forward, even if we have doubled the pace of unwind from from September, okay, the treasuries and mortgage-backed securities, we are also ratcheting up the interest rate. When you ratchet yeah. up the interest rate, you're tightening. That's that that is unambiguous. It is tightening. Full stop. Okay. Whether it's tightening fully across the policy rate, we do not know. But there is supposedly a pass-through. But you are tightening the front end. But with the with with the tightening of the bonds, it is not very clear what is going on. Now, from September onward, it will be very difficult, you know, with all research techniques to disentangle interest rate type of tightening along with the unwind of balance sheet. So, my take has been where the episodes were relatively clean because tightening was not there. The interest rate cycle had not gone up. Those three papers which I alluded to and my own work, ten to fifteen bips for a trillion is is hardly any tightening. You can see. Uh, the front end move up and down without interest rate cycle. But, you know, for a trillion, that is statistically not significant. So, so... Right, but it must be be
0: hard for the central banks to model what's going on because they've got quantitative tightening, they've got interest rate tightening, but then as, you know, working in the opposite direction, as you've described, there's the moneyness of of the collateral that they're releasing through quantitative tightening, and that is helping... uh, lubricate the system elsewhere so it must be hard for them to to get the you know to to, to calibrate what they're doing you know to get to decide when they've tightened enough and what the, the financial markets seem to be they have an unstable feel to them at the moment as we saw uh, i know you don't want to talk about the uk but we've you know clearly saw a massive dislocation in the government bond market in the, over the last couple of weeks and uh, and it's you know it's not clear whether it's over yet so you know what what, what do you see as I mean, is it, you've spent the last 15 years studying financial plumbing and collateral use and reuse very closely. probably know more about it than anybody. Um, you know, it, it seems like, you know, a very complex area of the markets that very few people have an understanding of.
1: No, I think, uh, you know, when you look back the last 10, 15 years, the fundamental change has been the dealer balance sheet constraints. With Dodd-Frank and Basel III, the dealer balance sheets can only do so much. You know, the dealer, you know, the JP Morgan's and Goldman's, they they have fundamentally to report to the shareholders. Even if there is room to make a little bit of change and sort of complete the repo market, which they could have done in September 2009, if, for example, prime brokerage or securities lending or derivatives margin are more profitable per unit of balance sheet, if there's profitability per unit of balance sheet elsewhere, the money and the balance sheet goes there rather than completing the repo market. This is very fundamental. You know the treasury market is growing. You may have seen papers by Professor Duffy and some of the new changes. You know how to improve clearing, etc. But the dealer balance sheet relative to the side of this uh, treasury market is not big and is relatively going to get smaller because there's not much room in the dealer balance sheet. So if dealers don't come up and remove that arbitrage opportunities, because there's somewhere else they can use the balance sheet more profitably per unit of their balance sheet. Now, uh, what else is going on over here? Collateral velocity has sort of plateaued out. I, I, I've i been looking at this number every year. And yes, you're right. Uh, these numbers were high. They went low, but the dealers adjusted the balance sheet. The numbers were around 2.1, 2.2, and they're stuck out there. In other words, you cannot be pushing the dealer balance sheets to take more of, of, of the treasury business, Okay, number one. So number two, uh, when collateral is released, there is still inertia for this collateral to be to be reused, and the dealers will do that. I mean, there is. I mean, for example, bonds are in scarce supply, and by their own admission, you know, ECB encourages the national central banks who are holding the bonds, like like Bundesbank, like Banca d'Italia, like say Banque de France, to reuse. So whatever they may be buying through the asset purchase program, immediately it is given back to the market because the needs of uh, uh, collateral could be very different than the needs of money. Remember, a treasurer a treasurer will always use cheapest to deliver. If the treasuries are more useful relative to money, you will settle with money. If the treasuries are less useful relative to money for a treasurer, then he will post collateral. But in general, I have found in the last 10, 15 years, collateral velocity has come back. It may have platted out, but there is need in the financial markets because remember you have a you have a cash policy rate you have a repo rate, and both the dynamics have to work the market will arbitrage and long story short i believe that you know this this qt which i discussed the net effect is very difficult and i and i will come back to to to, to sort of sum up i have not seen tightening from from whatever unwind has been at least at least from the fed side which has been the only player for for this now just to extrapolate this just look at the Japanese market. The, the JJBs don't have market signals, a lot of market signals, and they have been buying JJBs. So you do not have much of a signal from JJP and, and the repo market. There have been days where the JJBs have not traded, and we do not know if that market will ever unwind. So from a plumbing perspective, whether it's sterling or, or, or the eurozone bonds, like the bonds, or the treasury, you do not want a wedge where the policy rate and the and the repo rate is not aligned. you don't want large wedges because that that is not good plumbing right. i will uh, stop there but i think it summarizes what's yeah. going on in the last 10 15 so, minutes so so
0: um, obviously if you, if you're examining the financial plumbing one thing you don't want to see is blockages where where would you say the the i mean you, you talked about the constraints on the on the bank uh dealers balance sheets through the basel 3 reforms but i mean what what remaining you know, potential blockages are are there in the system that we need to look at and 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 reform.
1: Well, as you know, there was a year between twenty twenty and twenty one where they tweaked uh, the leverage ratio and you know reserves and uh, the the reserves and treasuries were allowed uh, sort of an exemption from the from the reserve. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, from the leverage ratio. There can be tweaks, but my understanding is that was a very difficult period and there were some tweaks allowed. Going forward, I don't think dealer balance sheets will be allowed any room from from the regulators. Okay. So where are we going with large pipeline of debt issuance, at least in the US, and constrained dealer balance sheet? Well, we're looking for, for areas where you need other pockets if dealer balance sheets are not stepping in and dealers don't want, you know, when you do QE, I mean, just. Who knows what, but there could be some, There could be another round of QE. You know, if, if crisis happens and there is some connection from one market to the other, the dealers don't want deposits. And we saw in the last two, two and a half years, the money market funds came in. So you were doing QE, but the money was going to money market funds. And today, the money market funds are, are given, uh, you know, something close to RRP. So, you know, QE is ending up in pockets where it should not have ended up. Money markets funds have done very well. RRP is 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 quite high. So when you look at the flip side, you are finding economics which you did not expect to happen. Dealer balance sheet not being there means you will look for other pockets. Last time around, we found the money market funds. We just do not know what other pockets we may we may need if there is another crisis. So I believe you know QE has done its part. QT uh, the T has not been uh, measured uh, uh, you know uh, clearly. interest rate for me remains the clean vehicle. And whether interest rate uh, cycle goes up, you know, we have read the speeches from, you know, the Fed side, the Bank of England, the Eurozone, you know, real rates are not yet positive. But this is, you know, this is an evolving topic. How far are they going to go? Uh, You know, whether it will be in a year's time, they're going to catch up on inflation, whether inflation goes down, who knows. But you know, interest rates for me goes through every cracks. I think Professor Stein at Harvard had, had, had used the term. And the other balance sheet issues are, I think, more second order. Interest rate is where I think focus should be. And we should not uh, muddle saying interest rate it will give you 100 bips and balance sheet tightening will give you 25 bips because it's, it's very difficult. I, 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 at least from what I've seen, the balance sheet uh, tightening should not be muddled with interest rate tightening. The, former, uh, the interest rate tightening is clean
0: yeah my mind thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me it's been a fascinating chat
1: thank you thank you for asking all the right questions
0: thanks for listening to this episode of the new money review podcast the future of money in 30 minutes if you enjoyed the podcast please like it share it or tell a friend about it at our website newmoneyreview.com you can also sign up to our newsletter which will keep you informed of all New Money Review articles and podcasts. If you'd like to support our work, you can do so via Patreon. Details of how to do this are on the homepage of our website. Finally, please join us soon for our next episode.